I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Breakdown, bringing you a deeper insight into the news from the past week. Joining me today is Swim Swam co-founder and editor-in-chief, aka The Machine, Braden Keith. Joining us not this week, Coleman Hodges, who I think is in the pre-planning stages of a new hairstyle. Got a lot of feedback, Braden, during the Olympic Games. People were tuning in to his his, uh, his top five list each week, they were really tuning in because they wanted to see what hairstyle he would come in with because he basically evolved over the eight days. This is, this is now a Coleman Hodges hair podcast. That's <laughs> not all we do now. We talk about Coleman's hair. Yeah, no, no. We, well, here's the thing. I do think that he should have his own, his hair, his hairstyle should have his own Instagram account. That's just my two cents. But uh, so anyway, I, I just wanted to ask you while we're at the top of the show, we don't have Coleman around. I, I know that you appreciate more time with me because, you know, I do text you about 50 times a day. And if anybody doesn't know this, Braden is driven crazy by me. And I'll give you one example. I sent him a text message saying, when is this report going up? And it was a young swimmer who was meddling. I sent him a follow-up and he said, if you text me again, <laughs> what did you say? I'm, I'm, I'm going to block you. I'm going to block you. I'm going to block you. So how, how often does this happen? Do. How like often does this happen and how much do you hate me? Uh, I don't hate you, Mel. I love you, Mel, uh, because you're Mel Stewart money, man. And that's my favorite kind of man. Um, we are talking, of course, about Ahmed Hafnui, who just committed to Indiana University this week. Um, uh, I think this was a great move by him. Um, I think Indiana puts in the yards and can train a distance swimmer. I don't know that they've done that necessarily since Mike Westfall left. Um, apparently this was in the works from before he won his Olympic gold medal. There, there were rumblings about this earlier in the summer um, that kind of intensified after the gold medal. So, you know, Indiana has had good success with swimmers specifically from Northern Africa. They've had some Egyptian swimmers do well there. And I think that's, that's probably the tie that bound this up um, prior to the Olympics. And then I don't know that anybody saw that Olympic breakout coming. We, we certainly didn't I'll admit to that, own that. We did not see that Olympic breakout coming. So this went from a, a good pickup for Indiana to a really, really superstar pickup for Indiana. I like the conversion times. I know you hate conversion times. I look at these conversion times and I'm like, Olympic champion. 411, 500 free. That's how it converts. How, how spot on is that? You know, the conversion times always get a little fuzzy at the fringes. If you're really fast or really slow, the, the conversions are kind of built on the median. Um, I think he's, I mean, how could he not have a, uh, we don't, we don't really know what he has in short courts, but how could he not have a 409 or a 408 in him now that we've seen 407s and 406s become almost the new normal. Um, he's got to be faster than 411, right? He's, he's a four, it's a 410, 34 to be precise. Um, I think that after, you know, I think after un, uh, being under the tutelage of Ray Luz, I think he's, he's probably going to have enough time pushing off a 25-yard wall to, to, to tighten that up. Yeah, yeah, he should, he should be under 410. But what's interesting is that, yeah, 410, under 410 scoring, but uh, we expect a lot more from an Olympic champion. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The funny thing is that I think that most of our readers understand that that doesn't mean you're going to win. Certainly not at the well, NC2As. It's, it's strange because we don't usually have this conversation in men's swimming, right? Like this is a, this is a women's swimming conversation with uh, Reagan Smith, 
we don't usually have these conversations of gold medalists coming in on the men's side, just because the men tend to, to develop a little bit later. So it's, it's going to be kind of a fun experiment. I think there's some pressure on the Indiana coaching staff. Um, we'll never know what he would have done if he had gone to Cal or Michigan or Texas or one of these other places. But if, if he succeeds, Indiana is going to be the place where you can go and win Olympic gold medals. And if he doesn't, that's, that's something they're going to have to, to work through to explain to future recruits how they took an Olympic gold medalist and didn't have success with them. Moving on, Joseph Schooling. Instagram 200 Butterfly Challenges comes on the heels of the uh, Singapore Marathon runner. Um, you know, I want to go right to that, that story because I, I don't think that we can talk about that unless we actually read what the quote was. And the quote was pretty, pretty good. This, uh, this marathoner, he ran a 2.4 K he, he, he eclipsed the seven minute barrier. And as Instagram posts, he said, somehow some people still think their army slash commando slash BMT mate who smokes ran faster. The statement was aimed at those who claim that type of performance is a regular occurrence among Singapore's armed forces commando formation. And he's the the challenge was, hey, if you can do this, I'll give you five hundred the equivalent of five hundred and thirty thirty US dollars. Schooling jumps in on the game, offering a, f- a free Hugo Boss suit, which he'll pay for if you can come within 10 seconds of him and 200 meter butterfly. What do you think about that, Braden? Well, no. What do you think, Mr. Mr. 200 Butterfly? Do you think you could still get within 10 seconds of Justice Schooling in a 205? I don't, but I mean, I sit behind a desk all day long, you know, it's like, I'm, and I'm old, but I do, I do, I think that he should have stretched it out to like 15 or 20 seconds. I think, and, and the funny thing is he didn't say hunter fly. So, so yeah. yeah, he didn't say hunter fly. I think, I think 200 fly, I, th- I think you can take somebody who's super fit and can surprise you in a hundred meters. They certainly can surprise you in a 50 meters. There's some great athletes out there, but when you go to 200 meters, you just can't fake it anymore. So I, I, my, my personal opinion should have been 15 to 20 seconds, 15 to but, 20 second lead. So, so what is Joseph schooling? What could he go in a 200 fly right now? We're, we know he's not training for it. We're talking 159, 158, something like that. There's I, I, a lot there. There are pe- there are plenty of people around who can go 208 in the, in the 200 fly. Maybe not a ton of them in Singapore, um, but there are people around who can do that. Um, you know, there's a big question whether this will be in a competition setting or a practice setting, because we know how good Joseph is in practice. Um, but do you read the comments, Mel? That's a good joke. You should be laughing right now. <laughs> it is a good joke. Our readers will love that. Um, but I, I don't know. It's for fun. It's however many suits Hugo Boss gives away because he is a Hugo Boss sponsored athlete. It's totally worth it. I love this as a as a marketing pitch. You should have a whole Hugo Boss day where he rents out a pool and everybody who wants to try shows up and tries. And you know, worst case, they get uh, every everybody's Instagram gets a picture with Joseph Schooling, who is a huge deal. This is like saying, "Can you get within ten seconds of Michael Phelps in the hundred free?" It, you know, it's, it's, he's at that level in Singapore and Hugo boss would suddenly become the biggest brand in the country. If they, if they put an event together to see what would happen. Side story. I went out to dinner with Joseph schooling and his mother and we had tomahawk ribeyes, which were massive, like 45 days wet aged. I mowed through this whole thing because I wasn't going to like not finish it when he finished his. And I thought that I was going to barf 
the rest of the night. And I felt terrible because he had, he raced like the next day and I asked him about it and he goes, no, nah, I was fine. What's wrong, Mel? I've heard that before. I've heard that he can, can put some grub away. He can definitely put some grub away. On to retiring Australian Olympians will not receive Tokyo podium bonus in Australia. If, if I'm remembering from the article, it's 20,000 for gold, uh, 15,000 for silver, 10,000 for bronze. Uh, what do you think? It kind of makes you rethink these bonuses. Are they, are the bonuses incentive to succeed or are the bonuses incentive to continue training or are they, are they funding to continue training? Um, and, and, you know, it's for our American readers, the conversations are always different because in Australia, like in most of the world, this money is publicly funded. So it's a different economic reality than in the United States where it's funded by sponsors and by USA swimming registration fees that, that filter up the food chain, all that kind of stuff. This is funded by public lotteries and tax dollars and all kinds of other things in, in most countries. So in that regard, I guess I can get the politics of it. Um, I, I have to believe a gold medal is worth $20,000 to that economy, especially when you look at the, the Brisbane Olympics. So on, a, on an economic reality, I don't know why you wouldn't. But on the other hand, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a calc- it's, it's gonna piss people off, right? But nobody's gonna not swim for the gold medal because they're not getting their $20,000 bonus when they retire. I, I think people overestimate the motivation factor of these kind of things. It's a, it's a nice reward. It's, something they deserve if they're putting in the work, but like, I, I don't really think $20,000 is, is the difference between whether Kate Campbell was going to train hard or not. Like, I don't, I don't think that ever would cross the mind of somebody who is actually at Olympic gold. You, you say it all the time, Olympic gold medalists, there's something a little different in their heads and they love the money. The money is nice. We all love the money, but I don't think they're sitting there and calculating how much their gold medal is going to be worth and decide how hard they're going to try based on that. I don't have an issue with this because it's contractual. It's stated on the front end. It, this is to incentivize people to keep training. And it's so long as you know up front, that's the case. You know, I, I don't have a problem with this. The, um, I, w- I will say this. I, I have a lot of unique experience in terms of understanding, like, can you race for dollars or not? I swam for Las Vegas gold. I swam in my prime. And if I broke, and I was a world record holder at the time, if I broke my own world record, I would get a hundred thousand cash and they would bring the hundred thousand cash to the pool and like in, a briefcase. in a briefcase with a, with a dude handcuffed, it open up the briefcase and spread it out. So you'd go to nationals and it'd be spread out on a table as you walked in. And, um, and, you know, I got within a, you know, three or four tenths a few times, but I couldn't do it because swimming for money is really challenging and it's, uh, it just, it just didn't work. But I, at the Olympic level, you're, yeah, it's, 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 it's about the prestige. It's about the honor. I mean, it's, and frankly, when you get to that level, it's sort of like, it's so much luck involved too. It's like, you really lucky, like everything clicks. Well, Mark Spitz won seven Olympic gold medals as an amateur, right? So it's it's not it's not like you can't do it without the money. Yeah, no. you, but you, you know, uh, you know. Speaking of Las Vegas, have you ever have you ever talked to a professional gambler about gambling? You can't think of it 
as your house payment. You can't think of it as your retirement money. When you are walking into a casino as a professional gambler, if you want to succeed, you have to be cold hearted about it. You have to, you have to go in there and make the best decision based on where you are right now. If you think about, oh, I shouldn't make this bet because if I lose this bet, I can't buy food next week. And I think that's the same mentality that if you're going to succeed as an Olympic athlete, you can't think about whether or not that gold medal is going to let you retire at age 30. You've just got to think about what can I do to win that Olympic gold medal. On to class of 2023 floodgates are now open. We just reported it today. That was your report, buddy. What do you think? I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird year because of, of COVID um, and there's a lot of conversation every year when the first commit happens about whether it's too early or not. And I've generally been of the thought of for the superstar swimmers, I don't think it's too early because they have more information. They have more exposure to these coaches. You know, if you're on a national team at age 15, this isn't the first time you've met any of these coaches. Um, so, and if you want to get it out of your way so that you can focus on meeting your junior goals, that's great. I think if you're a mid-tier swimmer, if you're a kind of a conference scorer type, I would wait. I, you know, I would I would want to gather more information. I know the coaches are pressuring the athletes, so I don't I don't blame anybody for going after the spot, the roster spots, and the scholarships when they're offered. Um, but I think I think there's I think there's sort of three worlds in college recruiting, right? There's the superstars, there's the middle eighty percent, and then there are the swimmers who just kind of enjoy swimming and want to find a spot to swim in college, but it's not really going to be how they define their college experience. So I, you know, I think that it's kind of a, a split field, so to speak. Two things. If you want to follow our recruit news on Instagram, follow swim recruit news, swim recruit news. It just went live. It's already banging. It's huge. The account's blowing up. We could not run that across our own account because there's so many recruits. And years ago, Braden told me we're going to recover. We're going to be covering college recruits at a level that is higher than the Olympic Games. And it, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And you said, "This is the biggest moment in a swimmer's life, and it's achievable for most people if they commit to swimming four, five, six years year round." It's um. I, I would say that in terms of, uh, from a personal standpoint, in terms of uh, the emotional weight on this, it was, uh, I think deciding on where you're going to swim in college was harder than the Olympic games. I, it was just, it, it was, I got sick. I was, uh, I got, I got, a, I got a flu. I was, I was down for two weeks in bed because I was trying to decide between four different schools and they were all great. All the coaches were great. Everything looked perfect. You're trying to get as much information as you can. You're making endless phone calls to all your friends and your club coaches and everybody who's ever been a mentor. And you just feel like it's life and death because it's going to determine your prime years. So I, I understand the committing early side. Just out of curiosity. So if, if, I, if you're a mid-tier swimmer and you're saying hold off, you know, what is the, what's the calculus on that? What, what, what is the reason to hold off? To me, the reason to hold off is to get all the information you can to, to think about what you might want to study, um, to, to just to see where people go that you might be interested in training with. I just, you know, it's, it's, um, 
I, I read a study once that the one of the traits that the world's most successful people have in common is that they're procrastinators. And that's the opposite of what, what we have all been taught our whole lives, right? But procrastinators have more information when they make a decision than the people who just jump and go at the first opportunity. Um, and, you know, we're seeing kids change their, change their commitments. We're seeing, I don't know that we're seeing transfers at a higher rate versus more visibility. That's a, that's a frequent conversation and the data doesn't bear out that there are actually more transfers. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to this whole thing. Like if you can't at age 18, if you're not supposed to be able to map out the rest of your life at 18, how can you really do it at 16? Think, think back when you, when you were 16, what your priorities were and what you were thinking about. Um, it's, it's just hard. And I think the more, the more you can mature and the more information you can have, the better decision you'll make. At 16, I was a hair's breadth away from basically going to jail. And by 18, kind of had my head on my shoulders. But that's another story. Um, Barry Revson, uh, he is the data dude. He is the man. And he scares me with his numbers. And when he says something, I take it as the gospel truth. And he's saying jackpots don't matter. Uh, help me, help me break this down. How did jackpots not matter? I read, I read it and I felt like I would fail the test afterwards, but the most damning information was that it wouldn't have made a difference in season one or season two in terms of the winning, the top four winning teams. Uh, Barry thinks it's hysterical when you say you're afraid of him. Cause every time he comes up, you say you're afraid of him and he thinks it's the funniest thing ever. Um, because we both know that Barry is the nicest, quietest guy and there's absolutely nothing scary about him until his brain becomes self-aware and then we're all in trouble. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's seasons two and three, cause there were no jackpots in season one, but it's, it's kind of this whole debate of people are growing increasingly discontented with the jackpots because it's, it's the perception that the jackpots are what is eliminating the parody in the league. Um, you know, there's a perception that the reason that Callie is dominating teams by so much is because Caleb Dressel just jackpots everything. And that's, well, it's true to an extent it's it, the margins are bigger based on that. And, and to me, um, they're, they're a little complex. They're a little hard to follow when you're watching on TV. They're a little easier to follow when you're reading on Swim Swam and we're kind of breaking down the scoring for you. Um, but, you know, they want a TV audience. That's their dream. And I, and I can't imagine what it's like in-house when you're um, – because we haven't been able to – I haven't been to a meet. Uh, Juicy has been to a meet representing Swim Swam, but I haven't been to a meet since Jack Pack's were instituted and I can't imagine trying to follow it without the the graphics coming on screen telling you what's happening. Um, so is it worth the complexity if all it's doing is growing the, the margins? Uh, and I see the argument for, for Caleb Dressel, you've got to find a way to reward him financially at a, at a higher level um, to continue to motivate him to participate. We didn't see him swim Sunday. Um, we're supposed to get more information about why that happened soon. Um, I suspect that means that Caleb is done with the regular season and will go home to Florida for a few weeks and come back for the playoffs, but we'll find that out. Uh, but, you know, there's other mechanisms to reward the stars besides these jackpots that kind of don't impact the flow of the meat as much. Um, but most of all, I just kind of think it's funny that 
that all these these jackpots, which have become such a focus of the commentary of the presentation of the league, it turns out just don't matter. And they they want to tell us all the time the points are all that matters. The points that all that are all that matters. It turns out they don't matter. I mean, it's just it's it, it hasn't impacted the outcome of a single media shifted money around. It's you know made a few stars look bigger, but it, it hasn't actually mattered. I mean, I, I think stars matter. It has mattered with the MVP race. Um, so since season season two and season three, seven in the 19 matches, the MP, MVPs have changed. Uh, because but of that's the at the skins. So that's just that's just the jackpot in, in skins, which is is great to an extent. But then why do the rest of the meet? If if that's all, if you, the MVP is basically going to go to the skins winner nine times out of ten, then then why screw around with everything else? So if I so you brought it up, you want to reward stars. You want to you want to maintain the Sher Schroestroms and the and the Caleb Dressel and the if, if you want to keep them ha- happy and and returning, you know what are the mechanisms to keep them there because they do have to be compensated. Well, the the obvious one is just is just contracts. Pay sign athletes for what they're worth. That would help the parity in in more ways than one. We know from every other sports league in the world that people still get excited about about big contracts, even if it's not money earned because they scored 25 points a game, they, they get excited when LeBron James signs a $200 million contract, that kind of thing still excites people. Uh, you know, just make the MVP bonus bigger. The, the MVPs are still the MVPs. And, you know, it, it hurts a swimmer like Adam Peaty, who, who the league clearly wants to make a star, but is, in this format is kind of a one trick pony. But again, if the ISL is saying this is a better format and that they want to reward swimmers who perform well in more events, they want to say this is more important than the Olympics. Then if you lose some star power from an Olympic gold medalist, but you get more star power from just a swimmer who swims well in a lot of events in your league format, then it's almost calling their bluff, right? It's it's kind of calling their bluff on whether or not they think they're they can be bigger than the Olympics. If they think they can supersede the Olympics in importance, then having a one event Olympic gold medalist shouldn't make somebody an ISL star, right? Let's let's, let's just wrap up the ISL weekend. The funny thing is, we we did we did a breakdown and. You you know you called out ISL and basically said that in, in terms of the top four finishes that the draft really didn't matter, and uh, I'm not saying that we heard information back about that, but you could say that we heard information, some feedback about that. The funny thing is that the next day it seemed like um, it's it seemed like the draft did matter in that in that first session of the first match when when DC and LA were competitive. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and who wound up placing second? Agreed. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't ultimately super close. I mean, it no. it mattered a little. DC is swimming really well, but you know, DC has most of their roster, and LA doesn't. So, like, that's that's to me almost more of a sign of how little the draft mattered because LA, even without Ryan Murphy and all these other swimmers, still beat DC. It still wasn't enough. Condors finally get their first loss. You, you already talked about Dressel not being there, and you're kind of forecasting and, and, and you know, you're determining that you think he's gone for the rest of the season. It'd be interesting to see. I hope not. And, uh, you know, what do you think about Chalmers only on the relay? 
You know, I'm, I'm wondering, we, we interviewed Ben Higson, the London coach, and he, he, he didn't really give a firm answer. He talked about strategy. I don't really remember what he said because it wasn't super insightful. Um, I, my guess is that Kyle, like Emma, we know for a fact Emma was kind of just doing her own thing after the Olympics training when she felt like it not would not. And I think it's probably just they, they wanted to ease him back into it. They weren't sure where his training will be. He, he showed his training is fine, at least for a short course for this format. Um, so I, I would imagine we're going to see him back in individual events coming up shortly. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. If it was a last minute thing, it was just easier to slot him into the relays. You know, it worked. They got their two star back, stars back and Kelly lost their star. And that was, that was the shift of the meet. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting choice to be sure. Um, we, we've seen a few interesting choices and lineups throughout ISL history. And the explanation is always strategy, but nobody ever seems to be able to explain what the, the actual strategy was. So I I think this is just another sign that as, as this league marches forward, coaches and general managers and teams in general will get better at maximizing the scoring out of the format. On to FINA and their aquatics festival. Looks like they're trying to do everything they can to uh, create a better platform. And uh, the funny thing is I talked to our friend, Brent Nowicki, who's the executive director. He's the, he's, he's the chief of FINA, young, only 42 years old. And he was pretty excited about this. Is, is this a reason to get excited? I don't know. I think it's cool. I think the, there's some risk in that it starts to feel a little like the summer world championships and might dilute that brand a little. Um, Brent had a really interesting explanation, which is that this is not adding water polo to the world championships. It's not adding open water swimming. It's taking other existing events and moving them into this single location, single week event. Um, and it's actually saving them money, which you know, we think Mel, you and I both think Brent is a smart guy. Um, lots of smart people succeed and lots of smart people fail and time will tell on that, but we both think he's a smart guy and this is a, a really smart idea. I think, I think the high diving is super cool. So if your goal long-term is to get more bodies to your host cities, um, for these events, I think this is a, a great idea because eight, you know, five or six or seven days of just swimming gets old, even for us. So I think, I think giving some variety, some, some time variety, put high diving in the afternoon, um, is, is really smart. I think it's going to be cool. I, you know, it's swimming is still the crown jewel of this, this whole event. Um, I really hope we, I think Brent hopes, but I really hope that we see like Katie Ledecky show up and swim open water. He kind of, he kind of said that, that's his dream for, for putting open water at this meet that maybe because it's not as high pressure as the long course world championship, some of the pool swimmers will get in open water and just see what happens. And I think that would be super fun. I think there's ways to get people to do that too. Like you mentioned with the ISO <laughs> contracts, I think there's, I think there, I think there's ways I didn't think about that. It makes sense. It's uh, I do think that when you have an event and you're trying to create a tent pole moment, you have to pull these events together and they have to try things. I just like that Fina's trying something. And uh, if it makes the the rights fee better for the host city, um, I'm all for it. 
But do you uh, think, let me ask you this, Mel. Do you think so? So we've now we talked about this last week. We've got this crowded fall calendar with ISL and World Cups and short course World Championships. Do you think that combining these events into one will give them more prominence within the federations and help sort of elevate them? as an event over all of these other fall events and, and produce more pressure from the federations for their pool swimmers to show up. I do. I think, I, I think, I think to some degree, I, I don't know how much I, I, I swear at the end of the day, it's just like I, athletes are going to make decisions based on you know, the least resistance. We're going to make the most money with the least amount of time invested. And, and there's are. a lot of money to be made now at this meet. There's a lot more than there used to be. I, I think I think they're going to do that math, and they're going to make choices based on that. And uh, the, with the you know the beauty of ISL is that they are creating a competitive environment, and it cre- it forces people to make changes. I love it when when IS or pro leagues or national governing bodies make changes and fail. I like to see them fail because I think failure is fantastic. So long as you fail, change it up and do something new. And we haven't seen a whole lot of changes at the international level in a long time. So got a young guy, more changes. I'm hope I'm hoping he sees some success with this. 